Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to take a look at a couple of events that were happening in and around Walt Disney World and really the Disney parks in general. So the idea was that they came up with uh, a new way to do the sort of the D23 that they do every year. And this year it was a more of a virtual event and they did a lot of sessions and panels and things that they streamed online. And so basically they were open to anyone. There, weren't, there wasn't limited seating. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't attend. I had too many other pressing engagements. It was over a weekend and I had too many other things going on and I couldn't attend. But I caught up on things as they were presented and just thought I'd talk about them for a minute or two as we think about what was going on. And first off, one of the interesting things that happened was that Bob Chapek did not appear at the events. He was, he was scheduled, or everyone thought he was going to be scheduled, but then he didn't come, and people were wondering what was go- going on with that. There was a lot of thought about, well, he doesn't care about the fans, because this, this is certainly a fan service type event, or maybe he wasn't invited, or maybe the board was mad at him, or something. But it turns out that the reality is a little different. What happened was that Bob Iger had planned his retirement dinner, his farewell dinner, as the outgoing CEO, and it was scheduled on, I think it was Saturday night when the uh, event was going on. So Bob Chapek had planned to go to that. And so that was the overall excuse. Now, it's a dinner. You know, it seems like they could have scheduled him around something else, but it was kind of a weird thing. And it just feels, again, like Bob Chapek is sort of disengaged or not interested in what's going on to a large degree. But the event went on and it was kind of fun and it had some interesting nuggets. They talked a lot about the things that are going on for the 50th anniversary for Walt Disney World. And they talked about some of the things that are opening or perhaps reopening around Walt Disney World. And I think it's safe to say that pretty much anything that you knew previously at Disney World will be back for the most part in some form. Now, some of it's going to be enhanced or plussed. Some of it will be very similar to what you knew, but I think you're going to see a lot of things reopen. Like the Finding Nemo the Musical has, has been rethemed slightly. They're going to do some new things with it, so it could be a little more interesting. They talked about some additions and enhancements to the Magic Kingdom's railroad, and they introduced the number one train, the Walter Elias Disney, that they've retrofitted and done a lot of enhancements to. So they, they're talking about a lot of interesting things that might happen. Now they did say that they don't have any real plans at this point to have the character interactions, but they are going to continue to have more theme things where the characters will be involved. So they're going to bring back some parades for the daytime anyway, and we'll see how that kind of plays out. I don't know exactly what they have planned there. They didn't really give you all the details, but they said that some things are coming. They also talked about some of the spectaculars and fireworks like Fantasmic is coming back and there's some additional things that they'll be bringing back that we didn't see for a while. 
So kind of interesting to hear them talk about those things. So a lot of things are coming back and will be plussed and potentially more interesting. And I find that kind of intriguing. You know, at this point, you have to kind of look at it and you go, well, I wonder what that's going to be like. How does this all play out? So that's really what happened at D23. It was just a nice way to look forward. And they also looked back at the history of Walt Disney World in sort of a Disney kind of style where they talked about the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and then the 2000s, where they kind of talked about how the park had changed and evolved to meet certain needs at that point, which was kind of neat to just hear that um, and that perspective on things. It's sort of a nice retrospective. So kind of fun. And if you get a chance to watch some of that, I did. It was, uh, it's, it's actually kind of neat. It's kind of clever. It's yeah, a little nostalgic and kind of fun. So turning away from the D23 event, because that's really what it was all about, uh, I want to talk about Disney deciding to halt or suspend annual passes or most annual passes for Walt Disney World. And I found this really interesting. Now, they had said that they retained the right to at any point suspend sales. And so they did. And I think what you can take away from this is their price point, even though it was kind of high, was too low. And the fact that most of them were only open to Florida residents, but yet they were selling a lot of them, tells you a lot about how it was coming together. They couldn't keep up with the demand, so they had to move on and actually suspend the sales for now while they rethink the strategy of what they're going to do with their annual passes. People were buying them up in droves because people want to get back. And the value proposition, if you're going to go a lot, is worthwhile. So I think Disney's going to probably rethink this a little bit and decide whether what they want to do with it exactly. Now, of course, going into the holiday season, it's the right time to suspend it because you only have a certain number of slots available for people to come in the parks. And if you keep selling more annual passes now, people aren't going to be able to go and they're going to get annoyed and it's going to just take people off. And if your price point is too low, you're going to sell more of them than you have space. So it's kind of a problem. So it's interesting that they're going to do that for a while. Now, I haven't purchased my annual pass again yet. Well, I don't know if I'm going to purchase an annual pass or just purchase day passes. I haven't decided yet, but I haven't purchased anything yet. So I guess I'm out of luck for now, but I'm not sure when I'm going anyway. Based on other things I have going on in my life, I kind of can't get there right now. And I'm still not sure I'm ready to go, but that's kind of a separate issue at the moment. So we'll see how that plays out for me, but it's interesting to kind of hear how things are uh, coming together in that sense. Now, funny thing, my daughter is in school and uh, here in Florida, there, there's been a long-standing tradition of having like a, an event, sort of an end of year event where Disney offers somewhat, and I use, the, I use air quotes here, discounted passes to the theme park to let students come up and spend a day there. So it's over $100 a day. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, it was a lot cheaper, but it's over $100 a day. It includes the bus ride up there. You go into the park for the day. Um, I think it also includes like a lunch voucher or something. And then you can go on and you can have a nice day in the park with your friends. And they're still doing that. So I thought it was interesting when she said to me, I'm gonna go, I can, so I thought it was really interesting that she said to me, hey, I'm, I have an opportunity to go to the Magic Kingdom. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So you take all of the schools in Florida and they're all offered the opportunity. Not all of them take it, but all of them are offered the opportunity. And there are literally thousands of schools and there's probably a hundred kids from any grade level who go up at any one time. So you figure, you know, at any given day, they could take up a couple of thousand spots in the park on a weekday in May. You know, so it's sort of that not so busy period. And I just find it interesting that they pull some slots out of the rotation to have the reservations available for these kids to be able to go there. 
I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I was like, huh, didn't really think about that. The, the way this whole reservation system works versus having kids come there as sort of their last hurrah during a school year. It's, it's a fine tradition here in the state of Florida. And it's just interesting to see that uh, they're going to provide the opportunity and uh, still have kids coming and doing that. And one of the last things I wanted to talk about was this little nugget of news. It was that Disney had already told all of its cast members that they had to be vaccinated to come back to work in, at the Florida theme park at Walt Disney World. And they were negotiating with the unions to have all the union workers be vaccinated. So this is an ongoing thing. It's been going on for a while and they've been working on it. And then the state of Florida decided to hold a special legislative session where they talked about all the COVID rules that are out there. And one of the things that was on the agenda was that they are going to forbid companies from enforcing any sort of vaccine requirement. If you do business in Florida, you can't require that people have vaccinations in order to come to work. Now, there's a lot of caveats and rules around it and all these different things, typical. But it's interesting that some companies immediately said, well, wait a second, that's probably not constitutional. The federal government has made it clear that they believe it's unconstitutional and they will sue. These are private companies that the state is trying to say you can't do this in order to do business, even if it's in the best interest of the business. The funny part to this was, regardless of whatever you think about it, Disney immediately, upon hearing this news, ceased its program to tell people that they had to be vaccinated and publicly said, we're not going to tell people they have to be vaccinated to come to work. They stopped negotiating with the unions and they stopped talking about it. It's kind of a strange thing, but this is where that intersection of Disney and politics comes back into play. Disney runs two cities within its property. They also have this very strong political connection with the state, and they realize that if they don't do what the state wants, the state will make it difficult for them. Like I said, they're good citizens in the state. They try to acquiesce whenever it's appropriate for them to do so. They try to get along. They try to do the right things. And here's a case where the right thing to do is just to say, okay, the state said that, we're going to go along with it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what they're going to do. Now, quietly on the side, Disney did say that their legal team is looking at the ramifications of this and what it actually means. Because, as I said, this is a complicated rule that they've written, and they may be able to find some sort of loopholes where they could still enforce vaccine mandates in certain cases, but they're not sure how this is going to work. So the legal team is saying, we're still studying it and reviewing it. So I just find the whole thing really interesting that this is the way it works. It's kind of a kind of a strange thing. Disney has a very interesting and complicated relationship with the state of Florida. So it's just weird when you hear them say, hey, we're just going to go along with it because that seems like an odd thing to just do arbitrarily when they were working so hard to try and make something happen. And now they're saying, well, maybe not. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. So in any event, those are the couple of things I wanted to talk about on today's podcast. Nothing really earth-shaking there. I kind of can't wait until I can make a trip up there. I kind of want to see what everything looks like and how it works and how everything plays out. On the one hand, I'm kind of intrigued and think there could be some really good things that come from this. On a second hand, I think to myself, I could probably still manage it very much like I've always managed it in the past. And on a third hand, I hear from people especially at Disneyland, not Disney World so much, who have a kind of a bad experience or maybe not a great experience where things don't go quite right and maybe they went into it with a little bit of not enough foreknowledge to understand what it was going to be like and kind of came away with a bad taste in their mouth because of it. 
And I'm kind of curious how I fit into that. What would I think? What will I think when I get there? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Will I care? Will I not care? How will I feel about it? So I'm kind of curious to see how it works out. But on the one hand, the nostalgia in me says, man, it's going to be different. And if it is different, it might make me angry. It might kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And I really don't want that. I want to make sure that I still have a good experience and good memories of it. So that's another reason I'm a little hesitant to go back to the parks at this point. But one way or another, it'll work out, I'm sure. And uh, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. So there you go. That's my couple of items I wanted to talk about at this point. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on for a second. This is Dave coming to you a couple of days after I recorded that podcast. I had another thought that I wanted to share, and it has to do with Walt Disney and his values and the thing that he thought of when he created Disneyland. Don't forget that Walt wanted a place where he could take his two little girls to have some fun for an afternoon. The city parks, the other community parks and things, you know, these carnivals and other things that were around, they were all dirty, not well kept. It didn't feel like it was a fun place to go for him with his girls. You know, he'd watch them do whatever, and that was fine, but they weren't clean and they didn't feel comfortable. And he wanted to create such a space. Now, of course, there's more to it. It's a more rich history. There's more into that story. But essentially, that's what he said he wanted to do, and he set out to do it. And so he created this family-friendly park that allowed people to basically take it at their leisure, to come and go as they chose. You could come in, you could have dinner, you could come in and ride one attraction, you could go. I, I think I heard this on a couple of, over, over time I've heard this on a couple of TV shows, where people would go to Disneyland just to go to Tom Sawyer Island or have some fun or have a hot dog on Main Street or just watch the nighttime shows. People would go there at their leisure to just be able to enjoy it, to take it in. And so you, and so you saw people coming and going as they felt right. When they thought it was a good time to go, they might just go in for an afternoon. Heck, in the 70s and 80s, people used to use it as a, a sort of daycare during the summers. They would pay the admission fee, drop their kids off, and then go off to work, and then come back and pick them up in the afternoon. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not here to debate with you, but the principle is people took it as they wanted to take it and enjoyed the Disneyland park for what it was worth. Disney World was much the same. For the cost of admission, you could go in and just enjoy the park for an afternoon or a day or whatever. I know for myself personally, when I was going to the parks, I used to go when I lived there, I would go in and out of the parks regularly. I would just go have dinner or I would just go and ride an attraction or I would just go walk around. I'd meet other people there and we'd just have a good time. It was kind of a, an interesting way to look at the parks that was very different than the corporate way of looking at it today. You know, there was one time not that long ago where I was there and caught up with a couple of other people in the podcast community. We just sort of hung out for a while. And then a couple of them called other friends who showed up and we all watched Illuminations together. And they just kind of came, right? They just sort of came over on a whim. Yeah, sure, I'll come over and watch Illuminations with you. Why not? And so they showed up, we watched it, and they left. And I left too. But it was a great time. It was just sort of this fun way to take in the park. But it's a very different way of looking at the parks than Disney sees it today, where it's all about the money. You need to have a reservation. You need to come in. You need to go to the park you're supposed to go to. And then coming and going really doesn't work the same way. It's kind of weird. And interestingly, where this ties back to my podcast is in the simple fact that you hear from people now who are saying, hey, it's not about that. The fact that they're suspending annual pass sales, the fact that Disneyland is severely limiting them, the, the fact that Disneyland is blocking out annual pass holders from certain days completely, even though 
the pass itself has no blackouts, there's no availability of reservations. You've changed the paradigm 100% and made it all about the bottom line. This is no longer a place you can go for an afternoon. This is no longer a place where you can go and hang out and see your friends and just have fun. You can't go and just do those things. Now, certainly at Disneyland, that's 100% true because of car park capacity and the size of the park and so forth. At Disney World, for the moment, you can still do that. If you listen to some of these uh, bloggers, podcasters, videocasters, whatever, you know, people who live in the Orlando area and can just go to the park, they're able to do it to a point. Yeah, they have to go online and see if there's a reservation available, but they could show up at the park at five o'clock and just have dinner, right? You can still do that to a point, but it's a different experience. It's not just a spur of the moment whim, I'm gonna drive over there. I can't just call you and say, hey, the park's kind of full, but come on over and you know, we'll grab a spot for illuminations. I know Illuminations doesn't exist anymore either, but the principle is the same. You, you just don't have that ability to go in and just kind of do it on a whim and take it at your leisure. You have to do it in this sort of co corporate structured way. And then I was reading a couple of articles about how Disney's bottom line is the most important thing. And as you listen to that, it becomes truer and truer all the time that Disney is really about trying to figure out how to maximize that profit. If I bring people in who are going to buy into the vacation club, and they're gonna come here on a vacation once a year, or twice a year maybe, and they're gonna spend a lot of money, I wanna give them all of the ability, all of the perks, all of everything, where those of us who just show up at the park and just enjoy ourselves for the day, eh, if you can get there, great, but if you can't, whatever, that's just too bad. It's funny how the paradigm shifted so dramatically. I did tell you in the past that I always thought they were trying to tip the scales toward the higher value customers, and sure enough, that's exactly what they've managed to do here with all of the things they've put in place. It's kind of interesting how they've changed the whole thing about the way we think about parks and the way we think about going in. This is no longer the park you can just go into and you, you can't just kind of enjoy it at your leisure in that sense. You have to do the things the way Disney wants you to do them. And I just find that really fascinating. Having been a 50 year guest who's really enjoyed the benefits of being able to come and go as I please, it just changed everything. And for those people, especially in Disneyland, who that's affected, that's huge. I mean, it's big for me, it's huge for the people in Disneyland because of the park capacity, you really are limited. It's just funny how this all played out. And uh, I just, I find that really interesting. And it's become, it's no longer about the place where a daddy can take his two little girls for the day. It's about the place where a daddy with a little bit of wealth or who saved up can take his family for a couple of days and spend more money. Just interesting. They turned the whole thing around. Anyway, that's what I wanted to add to my podcast. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. And for my one little spark segment today, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and talk about sort of this social justice as it relates to biblical justice. I found an article in uh, Christianity Today that I thought was kind of interesting. It's called Social Justice and Biblical Justice are actually one and the same. It's written by Rebecca Thompson. And I thought I'd read it to you because I think it kind of encapsulates a thought here. When you hear the sentence, justice is only part of the gospel declaration, what comes to mind? Do you applaud the idea that justice is being put in perspective? Do you bristle that it's being put in the periphery? In recent years, justice and gospel have somehow been pitted against each other within the white evangelical church, and regardless of which camp you find yourself in, 
it's likely that while one concept is painstakingly defended, the other is passionately attacked. On the one side, the concept of justice is viewed, at best, as a distraction from the work of proclaiming the gospel to the world. There is a fear that people are losing sight of the truth of Jesus while focusing too much on addressing social ills. Too much justice, not enough gospel proclamation. On the other side, justice is viewed as the driving force behind any sort of real change taking place. It's a concern that people have focused too much on telling others about Jesus without working to make the world a better place. Too much gospel proclamation, not enough justice. As followers of Jesus, the question remains, why are we pitting the ideas of pursuing justice and declaring the gospel against each other as if they were opposing forces? Why are they viewed as competition? Pursuing justice and declaring the gospel are one and the same. You cannot have one without the other. Instead of viewing the concepts as opposing forces, they should be celebrated as two sides of the same coin. Both focus on addressing human sin and brokenness, while justice emphasizes addressing the external systems that contribute to sin and brokenness. Evangelism emphasizes addressing the internal state that contributes to sin and brokenness. And Micah 6.8 asks us, And what does the Lord require of you? The answer, to act justly and love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8 reminds us that Jesus does not require us to simply pursue justice in the world. Jesus also does not require us to simply walk with him and tell others they should too. We lose the richness and depth of the whole picture when we start to ask, which is more important instead of asking how we can leverage both together. When we position pursuing justice and proclaiming the gospel as if they fight against each other or imply that one is simply an add-on to the other, we limit ourselves and others in the way that Jesus' presence and hope can be known throughout the world. Justice and evangelism are powerful forces and we waste too much time defending one and opposing the other instead of using them both to defend the marginalized and oppose the lies of the enemy. When we come alongside someone experiencing homelessness, pursuing justice means helping them find opportunities to gain employment and housing and advocating for policies that address the larger systemic issues which have contributed to their situation. At the same time, we declare the gospel by sharing about the internal hope that can be found in difficult situations through a relationship with Jesus, treating them with dignity, and reminding them, them and ourselves that we're made in the image of God who loves them. When we come alongside victims of abuse, we declare the gospel by emphasizing that Jesus is near to the hurting and marginalized, reminding them that they are loved and cherished by God, and praying with, for them in their situation. At the same time, we pursue justice by providing external systems of support, such as therapy and a safe place to recover, and seeking accountability and discipline for their abuser. When we come alongside refugees and immigrants, we pursue justice by helping them gain documentation where they do not have it, advocating for more refugees and immigrants to be welcomed into our neighborhoods, connecting them with systems of support and becoming systems of support that help them navigate unfamiliar culture, language, and country. We declare the gospel by extending hospitality, offering encouragement we have found in our faith, and sharing stories from scripture that the faith of others who were viewed as sojourners and strangers in a foreign land. Our witness can only be strengthened when we proclaim the gospel and pursue justice together. Just, justice is not simply a part of the gospel proclamation. Justice is central to the gospel proclamation. And in the same way, sharing the gospel is central to pursuing real, meaningful justice. It's time to stop making justice and gospel rivals and to instead welcome them both as non-negotiable ways to make Jesus' presence known throughout the world. And look, I'm not trying to hit you over the head with religion. I'm not a religious person myself. But I just wanted to make the point that I found it interesting that we seem to, as a society, separate the two and think about religion as something separate. And if you care to read the Bible and actually understand what the teachings are in there, you see that it's about compassion and understanding and not about 
putting yourself out there and saying I'm better than anyone else. It's just an interesting thought and I wanted to share it with you. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 